This is Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today our guest will be Dr. Michelle Critella, Executive Director of the American College of Pediatricians, who will talk to us about the medical repercussions of the Equality Act, something passed by the House of Representatives recently. And she will also educate us about patients with gender dysphoria, a main concern of this act. And this will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Yeah, I'm very excited for this interview. I wonder, Tom, if maybe we could first set the stage of the <laughs> Equality Act and figure out, you know, the House of Representatives passed this in May, correct? They passed it in May. And, you know, who doesn't want equality, right? Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to argue against equality, but like many things that, that our bills are named after, they come out of Washington, D.C., it's a euphemism. And uh, one of the representatives who supported this act in Congress said, what the Equality Act does is to ensure that transgender people, including young people, are not denied care because of, because of their gender identity. Yeah, I have not heard of that happening. Have you heard of that happening? It depends how they define the words. And so, and as I've learned from an ethicist who I greatly trust, he says, always care for a patient, but sometimes refuse a procedure or treatment. Yeah. And I think here, they're defining in care whatever treatment a patient wants, whether or not the physician thinks it is good for the patient. And see, so this is really a very dangerous double standard because if this was taken outside of the realm of, you know, gender ideology and sexual transition between sexes, if we put that into something like the opioid epidemic, which we talked about, yes. if a doctor thinks it's a bad idea to write for a drug, but the patient wants it, gee whiz, I just want it enough, that's malpractice. That is a great analogy, Andrew. But it, they're trying to carve out in this act certain areas that are malpractice if we, unless we do what we believe is wrong. So it's, it's really a legislative attempt and really requirement for physicians, Christian physicians everywhere to violate their conscience. Or even physicians that just respect natural law written on our hearts. So this bill wants to insert the terms sexual orientation and gender identity everywhere in laws, every national law where the term sex is used. So there's a great difference between sexual orientation, gender identity, and the way we determine sex biologically. Right. But there's, there's a difference between the biology and the gender theory, which we're going to get into a little bit in our interview. But as somebody put it, and it, it may have been you, Tom, I don't know. I, I quote people I hear that are smart, but I forget who <laughs> said it. They said, biology is not bigotry. Actually, we learned that initially from our guest, Michelle Cotello, when we had her on for a brief interview some months ago. We're circling back around to the smart person who said it. Yeah, well, and she got it from a feminist group that we wouldn't typically be aligned with on issues, but that's a line that they use. Man, because it's genius. Well, yes, it is. Biology is not bigotry. So one thing that this bill would do is raise to the same level of protection that race, color, religion, and national origin currently have the terms sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of implications. Tom, I wonder if you could highlight some of the concerns. Well, it exchanges an objective fact, you know, biological sex. People who support this act thinks that it's somehow wrong that we look between the legs of a newborn to figure out what sex they are. Yeah, you have to let it decide. Yes. Right? So it's an exchanging an objective fact of biological sex written into every cell of a human body for a subjective feeling which is what gender identity is. Well, I might be biologically male, but I identify as a female. So that's what a gender identity might be. So the danger is it's treating feelings as facts. And facts don't change, but feelings can, and they oh. can change frequently. Oh, throughout the day. So it's being brought up as a civil right, this SOGI, S-O-G-I, sexual orientation, gender identity. But the original Civil Rights Act, which was a very good thing, 
was done to allow blacks slash African Americans the same rights to basic goods and services as whites or anybody else. Yeah, definitely something, you know, looking back to the time of segregation when a huge injustice was being done to people of color. This was a very important law that reflects natural law and the dignity of the human person. Exactly. But now this is really a change that totally takes that. The intention is even to take it off its rails and even explicitly removing religious protection. Well, the 19, in 1993, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was overwhelmingly passed with bipartisan support in both chambers of Congress, signed by then-President Bill Clinton. So what's happened in the last 29 years? You know, and something I want to get clear from Michelle when we interview her is, it seems like this act doesn't just require tolerance of SOGI, it requires affirmation of SOGI. Yeah, you have to assent, you know, if you want to, to play the game or even be able to, to participate in society, you have to agree. Yes. And, and for example, Jack Phillips, Masterpiece Cakes in Colorado, Baronel Stutzman of uh, a flower shop out in um, Washington State. So these people have had their livelihoods threatened because they refuse to celebrate something against their beliefs. And that's something that's been working through the court system and at the, the lower state level and appellate level courts, it was found against their religious freedom. But then the Supreme Court ruled, I believe, on on one of the cases. On, on uh, Jack Phillips' Masterpiece Cakes, but it was very narrow. It didn't apply to anybody else. It just applied to his original position. Well, guess what? They, the Supreme Court sent it back to the Civil Rights Commission. Um, or No, they sent it back. I'm sorry. Jack Phillips, yes, won. And in Washington State, they asked them to reconsider Baronel Stutzman's case and the Washington court doubled down on their original decision, saying that she was discriminating because she would not do flowers for a, uh, a wedding between two men. But she'd been serving these men for years. So it's not that she wasn't going to serve them. It's that she wouldn't celebrate something that she thought was wrong. So it's not that she's discriminating against them because she served them already. Right. It's just participating in what she views as a... a evil. So always care. She's always caring for her customers, but sometimes refuse a procedure in medicine or refuse uh, a certain action. We we do that all the time. And a lot of the times it has nothing to do with conscience or religion at all. Yeah. Well, I don't think this medicine is good for you. It's just common sense. It, it, It is. And so it's, it's the government trying to tell people what common sense they are and are not allowed to use. So some of the most heinous Uh, consequences of this act would mean that the government could control hiring and firing in religious schools, Uh, fostering adoption agencies that don't agree with the SOGI ideology could be closed. I mean, look at Philadelphia has already done that. They have a huge need for foster parents, this huge backlog of children, yet they will deny any Catholic agency from assisting them. Well, and look what it would do to even the the traditional idea of the Boy Scouts or on the other side, women's sports. Look what's happened to women's sports. I mean, even outspoken lesbian activists like tennis you know, champion Martina Navratilova has spoken out against this. And she has been lambasted by her typical supports in the LGBT community. But biology is not bigotry. I mean, look in the Connecticut high school, 100 meter dash state finals, two biological boys just smoked the rest of the field and the girls are just upset as can be and nobody seems to be taking their side in it. I mean, you, you want to talk especially about women's rights. That is really terrible if you're going to put men competing in women's sports. That's unfair. It took so many years to get Title IX uh, into place for women's uh, sports and now they're going to be decimated because of this bill. Is that right? Is that fair? Uh, I love love the U.S. bishops. They came out pretty smart on this when they said that the Equality Act is a solution in search of a problem. (laughs) In other words, they point out, I think accurately so, LGBT people are not any more subject to systemic discrimination that they might once have been or similar to what blacks were receiving when the Civil Rights Act was passed. So, you know, widespread patterns of segregation against LGBT people are just not around. In fact, the opposite, the the mainstream media holds them in high regard. Yeah, if you look at the front of magazine covers or even 
we were we were talking to a guy who was reading the airline journal that they have in, oh, the seat yes. in front of you. Yes. And what was the first thing? It was it was touting someone who went through a sex change. Living my truth. Living my truth. I mean, if there was discrimination, it would be something that would have to be all over the place, and we're just not seeing that at all. Uh, and main, conce- main concerns, you know, that we have in the Catholic Medical Association is that rights of parents and patients to know the full science and medicine behind their concerns regarding uh, transgender ideology and gender dysphoria would be quashed. Only certain viewpoints of even science would be allowed to be uh, discussed. Yeah, if, if the science disagrees with their version of reality, then it's something that we would have to keep to ourselves. And so that puts especially ethical providers of, of all faiths, but, you know, I'm thinking about my friends. I'm, these people are going to have to either violate their, their conscience and their faith, or they're going to have to get out of the practice of medicine. So before we go to our break and bring on our guest, I do have a medical trivia question that deals with equality. So speaking of equality, in 1849, Elizabeth Blackwell became the first American woman to do what? Uh, This is a good one. Ponder that. We'll be back with more Dr. Doctor after the break. We're back with the second quarter of our show, and we have with us Dr. Michelle Critella. She's the executive director of the American College of Pediatricians, the pro-life alternative to the American Academy of Pediatrics. She is a pediatrician who practiced seeing patients for 17 years, and since 2012, she's been the full-time with the ACPEDS. She lives in Westerly, Rhode Island with her husband of 25 years, and she has four children. She's also, like Andrew and me, a member of the Catholic Medical Association. Michelle Cretella, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's great to be here. The Equality Act. You know, it seems like the problems that are being addressed from the so-called Equality Act stem from one simple cause, the denial of the biological reality of sex. Do I have it right? Yes. That's that's exactly right. Um, this this uh, the idea is that sex is a social construct. Um, you know, at best case, it's a disease. You know, kind of like <laughs> contraception treats fertility as a disease. You know, so best case scenario, sex is a disease. Um, but you you are now we are more and more finding activists in white coats saying that gender identity determine sex. See, that's that's crazy to me. How can you have a social construct right out of the womb? I mean, it's going to have to grow up and decide later. Yeah, going to have to wait until they can tell us what they are. That's terrible. So, Michelle, if if sex comes from the chromosomes, it's inherited from mom or dad, you get two X's or an X and a Y, where Mm. does gender identity come from? Is it also from the genes? Short answer, no, not like sex or skin color, no, right? Sex and skin color is determined by genetics alone. And you are a male or a female based on your sex chromosomes, the genetic contents of your sex chromosomes. Gender identity, that's partly, that's in the mind. That develops over time. And like any identity or behavior, or thinking pattern, right? That's a result of everything. Uh, our environment, the free will choices we make, and biological personality traits. So it's not biology alone. It's it's part of our development. Michelle, you said that more and more white coats are supporting this. You know, in our last show, we were talking about the heavy emphasis on medical science in medical school. And so all these white coats have this huge science background. What has caused them to shift and accept that and cause them to accept this social construct of gender identity? Right. It, it, well, unfortunately, it, it's it's a top-down uh, revolution of ideology. Um, I have medical students who will email me at the at the ACPs, and I've had. And all of them have been second-year medical students uh, from various states around the country, uh, saying thank you 
for speaking out. I don't dare say that I believe sex is biological and that gender is related to sex because they will send me for remediation. Um, now, I don't believe that the majority, I, I personally believe that the majority of physicians uh, know the science of biology, um, but what I hear is that people are afraid to speak out um, because they are concerned that they will lose their jobs. Uh, and we have to have a lot more courage than that. <laughs> well, there's there's definitely a lot of hierarchy in medical school training, whether you get flunked in a class and have to remediate, mm. get all the bad call. But now with the Equality Act, we're even talking about people r- really losing their livelihood if this were to pass. Is that right? Well, yes, but even, I guess what I'm trying to get across, for for sure, if the Equality Act were to pass, yes, then the force of law would be behind it. But even now, without the force of law behind this gender ideology, physicians are afraid to speak out. Um, Because socially, um, and even within their departments, they, they will face repercussions. So as physicians, so we all, we're talking to Catholic and, and, you know, Christian physicians specifically, but you know what? Any and every physician who backs the science of genetics and backs basic biology needs to speak up. This is ludicrous. Sex is not a social construct. We have gender medicine now, right? Sex, we know that men and women react differently to the same medications, that men and women present with different symptoms for some of the same diseases. Like heart attacks. Yeah. I mean, so this is incoherent. We, we, we cannot embrace transgender ideology because it is not, it's anti-reality, it's anti-science. We cannot embrace it in medicine. Our bishops have said that the Equality Act is a solution in search of a problem. So, looking at the supposed problem, how common is it for young children to identify as the opposite sex? So, less than a fraction of 1%. That's uh, according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the the fifth edition, a tiny fraction. But... Go ahead. So less than less than one percent. But what we have seen, um, the Tavistock Clinic in the UK um, has some of the best statistics, and from two thousand and nine to the to present day, so just under just under ten years, they have seen rates of children. Skyrocketing. Children who, who request their gender transition services have skyrocketed. Among girls, the requests have increased over 4,000% in under 10 years. Wow. Um, 40 times. 40 oh, times. Yeah. So yeah. Why, why is the topic of gender dysphoria so important to discuss now? And it wasn't even 5 to 10 years ago. What's happened in our culture? What... What we would, what we're seeing is transgenderism, non-binary identities, this is, it's being sold to our entire culture and especially our youth. It's everywhere online, in social media, chat rooms, YouTube, Reddit, Tumblr, Hollywood is promoting it. So who's the entrepreneur behind it? Well, it's a you can say it. You know, there are multiple. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are so many special interests uh, who benefit from selling this transgender agen- uh, agenda. Um, who, who benefits? They, I, mean, I, I know, just they, seriously, I can't. Cons- I'm thinking of all the pediatric urologists around here. The <laughs> ones I know, they are already busy. Well. <laughs> so I, I don't think this is coming from physicians. Well, uh, it is coming from it's coming from physicians who are in the field of trans LGBT medicine, LGBT pediatrics. Um, we have Joanna Olson Kennedy, uh, 
Joanna Olson Kennedy up at LA Children's, who is quote unquote married to um, a psychotherapist who is a trans man. It's got to be um, some good therapy. And there are, you know, th- there is um, a very prominent transgender surgeon who is a male to female trans, and this particular uh, surgeon is pushing, along with with others, is pushing for kids to have genital surgeries under age 18. So, so there is there is some um, there's some personal, you know, vested interest among the physi- some of the physicians who are in this field um, who are pushing it. Big Pharma will benefit tremendously from puberty blocker, you know, dispensing puberty blockers and uh, cross-sex hormones, estrogen and testosterone to children. I mean, you've got, you've got a patient for life. So on the medical side, they, they benefit. So, um, Michelle, I guess I've, yeah. I've got a question. A, a lot of our listeners are nice people. I mean, really <laughs> nice people. Better than yes. nice. And, and so everybody's thinking to themselves, well, what's the harm in this? You know, these poor people, there's just a few of them out there. What's the harm of affirming gender dysphoria beliefs? Can, can you talk to the difference between affirming a person and affirming a belief? And is this distinction purposely, you know, glossed over or conflated today? Well... Sure. Let's let's say in, instead of um, let, let's take something that's almost identical. Let's say your sister believes that she is a double below the knee amputee. Yes. And now she has fully functioning legs, but she believes she, with all of her heart and soul and mind that she is a below the knee double amputee. Is it loving? To affirm that belief and say, oh, you're right, you know what, let's find you a surgeon who will amputate your legs so that you will appear to be what you believe you are and, you know, get you your, you know, your, your prosthetics. And Is that the loving thing to do? And have everyone else buy into that lie? You know, and Michelle, some some people might feel like that's that. a weird analogy, but that's a real clinical it syndrome. It is a real. It is called body integrity identity disorder. So it is a true disorder. So that's not by that means of hyperbole at all. That's it a real is thing. Not by means of hyperbole at all. Okay. And and there are um, and what's very sad is that the there are um, people in. They consider themselves a community, and they refer to themselves as trans-able. Oh. So, and, and we also, there is a, a scientific paper was published in 2006 by a psychiatrist, Dr. Ann Lawrence, and she highlighted in this paper the many overlapping qualities between transgender belief, which in 2006 was called gender identity disorder, and the body integrity identity disorder. It's, it's a difference of, you know, you, you, you want to chop off your legs, you're mentally ill. You want to cut off your genitals, or in the case of women, your breasts. Oh, you were born transgender. That is the easiest way to, to make it clear to people that... That's you know, a cognitive this, dissidence. This is a right cognitive... That's right. This is a cognitive problem. You don't treat a problem of the mind with surgery and toxic chemicals. Oh, that's, that's a cruel. great line. Yeah, I mean, that's that's cruelty. That's not love. That's cruelty. So, Michelle, I just have flashbacks to being five years old and listening to that story that all children used to hear, the emperor's new clothes. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is yeah. that all over again. You'd think it could never happen, but it's happened even worse, worse than a yeah. king from, you know, prancing through the streets in his skivvies. I mean, this is... Right. Th- that was somewhat humorous. This is disastrous. Well, it, it, it is, and it's very disturbing because we are now, we're now parading, literally parading drag queens... Yes, into, in libraries. ...into libraries and, and schools. preschools, and we're taking... We're, you know, parents are, are taking their kids <sighs> to these gay pride parades so they can watch child drag queens in the gay pride parade. So, so Michelle, I, is, it's I, no mystery, right? It's no mystery why more and more children are becoming confused about 
their gender identity. So with current civil right laws and protected classes, mm-hmm. we are required to tolerate and accept them. But it sounds like from the Equality Act, we will not only have to tolerate and accept, but affirm them. And it, so it sounds like this, this soji would be raised to an even higher level than religion, national origin, or race. Or am I overreading the bill? Well, it would be equated with it. it okay. So. In other words, I don't have to affirm a Jew's or a Muslim's religion right now. But it sounds right. like. We might have to affirm, you know. You to have to affirm their belief because of the law. Because what's the law saying? The law is saying they are born that way, can't change. The law is going to say, the Equality Act is going to say that, okay, sexual orientation, gender identity, that is exactly like race or skin color, that is exactly like sex. But it's not. It's and not biological. It's not innate. It is not immutable. It's about thinking and behavior. It's different. Michelle, this brings us to our halfway point. We're going to yeah. take a brief break and re- be right back with more on Dr. Doctor. And we're back with Dr. Doctor, coming to you from the studios of Redeemer Radio. Michelle, I had a question. Okay, we're talking about this gender identity. What happens to boys and girls who struggle with this gender dysphoria, as we used to call it, gender identity now, if they have no surgery, no intervention, what, what happens to them normally? And based on the Equality Act, you know, what, what would be changing? Okay. So if you had a, a, a young child pre-puberty who um, was saying, you know, did, did not identify with their biological sex and you simply supported them through their own natural puberty, over 80% would come to accept their biological sex. By age what? Oh, I'm sorry, by young adulthood, by late adolescence, young adulthood. The vast majority of children will accept their biological sex. Um, And about 60% of those may identify as um, homosexually attracted but they will come back to their biological sex. Very good. Now, there seems to be this four-step progression that I've seen if, mm-hmm. s- if a physician is trying to help somebody transition, with the first step being you know, socially affirming them, yes, it's, it's fine, it's good, it's mm-hmm. right that you consider yourself the, the opposite sex of which you are biologically. What is the second step? What, what is the first medical step that happens if somebody is going to try to so-called transition somebody? Right. So first, I think it's important that people understand that social transition is the first step. So right. that's an intervention, telling a little boy, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we're going we're gonna to change your hairstyle, and you, we're going to call you Susie now, and we're going to make everybody else fall in line with your fantasy that's an intervention. That's role-playing. Yes. That is going to lead to persistence of the gender dysphoria. And the next step now, um, per the Endocrine Society and the AAP, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics and the WPATH Association, uh, WPATH, um, is put the kids on puberty blockers around age 8 to 9. Um, now, puberty blockers, that is just like, it's analogous to contraception, right? Puberty is not a disease. Puberty is not a disease. Thank you. Why are we blocking it? When we block it, and my, my colleague, Dr. Michael Laidlaw, who's a practicing endocrinologist, adolescent and adult endocrinologist in California, said, we are inducing hypogonadotropic hypogonadism, right? We're blocking puberty. We are arresting the normal... Uh, sex hormone-driven brain organization. We are preventing that growth spurt. We're slowing their bone development. We are um, robbing them of normal bone density. Uh, it's not just... In, in so how many years ago would this have been considered malpractice? I think you would have found it... Uh, I'd say before 2013. Okay. 2013, when DSM-5 came out and it renamed gender identity disorder as gender dysphoria, um, that's when we saw a little more of an uptick 
from the activists in medicine and psychology, and then with the gay marriage ruling, the floodgates just opened Man, this in is, 2015. This is yeah. so scary to me how quickly it can accelerate, and we're talking about children here. I mean, when right. you're talking about informed and consent, how much can an eight-year-old consent to anything? Oh, oh, but when it comes to when it comes to knowing their gender identity, oh, children, no. <laughs> if they if they insist, if I think they, the parents probably just they, get anxious, wondering what gender they're going to pick. So right. yeah, now is yeah, good yeah. enough time. But they're not confident choosing what to take when they have a cold. I mean, my kids at 13 are <laughs> right. still asking me, Dad, what should I take? Okay, right. so after right. puberty blockade, that's the second step. What's the third step if they continue so the down third, this path? The third step then is to put boys on estrogen and girls on testosterone. That can't be yeah. harmful, can it? No, oh, no, man. not a chance, right? What does what so, that do to the, the patient physically? So when you're dealing with a little child who you've just blocked their puberty before they've matured, um, and now you put them on the cross-sex hormones, um, they will be permanently sterilized. Wow. Uh, because be- before adulthood, the little girls, the little girls have not matured their ovaries. They haven't gone through, you know, uh, to have matured ovum. The boys have not fully matured their sperm. So you arrest the puberty, and then you hit the boys with the estrogen, you hit the girls with the daily testosterone, and you're going to destroy the girls' ovaries, destroy the boys' testes. Are there going to be lawsuits when these children grow up regarding what their parents let them go through? Wow. We can. I would hope so. I mean, it sounds awful to say that, but... um, Sadly, in our society, lawsuits seem to be the only thing that gets the attention of, uh, that, that gets results. Um, and I think that, just getting back to the, to the negative um, health effects, um, the cross-sex hormones, we've very recently seen in adults, um, it multiplies your risk of cardiovascular um, incidents by like up to five times well, so these kids are being put on a lifetime of uh, testosterone in, in girls or estrogen in boys we're just we're totally escalating their risk of heart attacks strokes hypertension sleep apnea diabetes um various cancers i mean this is um, this is, is it my imagination or are most transgender people i've seen significantly overweight I haven't seen the the statistics on that. I I I don't I don't know. Okay. I guess, uh, I statistically, guess. I don't know. I, I have fine. seen a number a number of trans ad- adults um, who are not okay uh, who are not overweight or obese, but it's but it would stand to reason. You, I I could see how. Um, Obesity would be uh, would certainly be a risk factor. Yeah, a man taking estrogen. <laughs> it's wow. a body dysmorphic right. disorder. They and absolutely do. Yeah, a man who takes estrogen, you sure, certainly he puts on the female fat distribution and for sure. Y- you yeah. know, Michelle, one of the things that I'm thinking of, we think so much about safety of medicines, mm. safety of blood pressure medicines. It's got to right. be studied. Things are not studied. They're not approved. How many studies have been done on men taking estrogen? That can't study, be something well, that's so, commonly so ask how studied. How many studies have been done? How many long-term studies have been done in kids? Zero. None. And Zero. and we're jumping into and this yet. wholeheartedly. I mean, y- right. you got to think just from a, a common sense perspective. We're asking for trouble. Right. How does this play out for the people, the the folks that have gone through all of these these crazy transformations, and then they get to the stage of surgery? Does this fix them? Does this cure the disease? What happens to them? Right. So if we look at the, the best studies we have, there are two um, long-term, meaning like 30-year studies, out of, one out of the Netherlands and one out of Sweden. And the one I'm going to quote from is that it's a 30-year study out of Sweden looking at over 300 adult transsexuals um, who underwent hormones and surgery. They had a completed suicide rate 19 times greater than the general population. Holy cow. So what is significant about the study is this. These are people, these are adults who had gender identity uh, disorder, gender dysphoria, 
they went through the hormones and the surgery being told this will cure your dysphoria, we will prevent suicide. Well, clearly it did not cure the dysphoria, nor did it prevent suicide. Um, there seems to be a honeymoon period in which there's the sense of relief, um, initial sense of relief, but bottom line, 19 times greater completed suicide rate compared to the general population. Man, and I'm, um, I'm thinking of informed consent again. Before somebody undergoes right. one of these surgeries, do you tell them, oh, by the way, I should let you know, if we do this, you will have a 19 times more likely chance of committing suicide. Who would and ever with, sign up for that? And with that, we're going to take our final break of the day and be back with one final section on Dr. Doctor. And we're back with Dr. Doctor, the official radio show of the Catholic Medical Association, here with the answer to the trivia question. Which is, speaking of equality, in 1849, Elizabeth Blackwell became the first American woman to do what? Graduate from medical school. It was an uphill battle. Um, and actually, her sister became the third woman in the U.S. to do so. But she graduated from Geneva Medical School, which is now the State University of New York Upstate Medical University in Syracuse. And she applied to all four medical students in Philadelphia at her time, rejected because she was a woman. And when she went to the Geneva Medical School, they said every medical student had to accept her as a student. So even one student could veto it. And all the men there thought it was a joke. And so they voted yes. They let her in. She rose to the top of her class. And it said the men-students behavior became much more civilized with her in the class. (laughs) Imagine that. Elizabeth Blackwell. See, now that's an example of someone overcoming... Very much real inequality. That was true inequality. And back now to more inequality. Michelle, what do members of the feminist movement, whether secular or Christian feminists, think about the Equality Act? Um, there are uh, there are a group of um, Christian and uh, radical feminists who recognize that if that basically gender identity will trump sex if the, the Equality Act passes. So what, is, what do I mean? Look, if all a man has to do is say, hey, I'm a woman, and in order to be treated as one, he just any man can say, I'm a woman, and now he gets to go into any protected women's space, whether it's women's locker rooms, women's sports, women's bathrooms, dressing rooms, women's prisons, um, <laughs> You, you, what so proof do they have to provide that they identify this there, way? There is, and this gets back to the beginning of our of uh, of the segment you brought me in. You said so, Dr. Cretella, um, Where is gender identity? Is it in the genes? Is it? And the answer is no. It's in the mind, right? It's in the mind. So there is no proof. You have to take the person's word for it. Wow. So this. That is the ultimate inequality, is that it erases women from law. You cannot protect gender identity and recognize sex. Erases women from law. Erases women from law, because a man just has to say, hey, I'm a woman, um, and this is happening, right? There are, there are high school boys running away with all-state girl Connecticut, we talked about that at the beginning. We talked about that yes. last time. And more and more in the world of, um, of adults' con- competitive sports. I mean, it, this is really... It's, it's so really, really this isn't affecting men's sports at all. It's affecting women. So another way, you know, and women, women right. for years fought against so-called patriarchy or, you know, right. misogynists or whatever. And now this movement is bringing it back again. Yes. This, this movement is enshrining sex stereotypes in law to the disadvantage of women. Of women. It's erasing, erasing women. Well, I think one great example of that recently is Martina Navratilova who is a lesbian activist, but she spoke out against this unfairness in sports, and she got ridiculed by her own people. Yes, by some. It, it's, um, it, it, it cannot stand. I mean, it, it's so anti-reality. It has to come falling down. But unfortunately, there's a lot of big money behind it. And, you know, why? Because if elites 
can force you to lie about the fundamental reality of sex, they can force you to do anything. I mean, I think that's sort of a paraphrase on Voltaire. Um, Those those who can make you believe absurdities can force you to commit atrocities. Ooh, Um, yes. So, I mean, there's, there's political gain here. There is financial gain for certain other individuals, um, but we we must fight it because it is devastatingly harmful to women and children. And but it ultimately upends the entire natural law. It upends that. It's a rejection of truth as as yeah. an entity. And um, yeah, I don't know if you wanted if you were going to get into. Um, how it's it should really be named the inequality act, act. yes um, because although it impacts you know the, the women and children most of all it, it ultimately affects um all americans because everyone will have to affirm the 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 new ideology um i mean as an example like uh, a high school teacher was fired from his job because he refused to call a female student by male pronouns or made-up pronouns. I mean, this, yes, we're in Virginia. We're talking about forced speech, and, forced and, speech. Right, and his students didn't want him fired. So right, that's, right. And he was a, a very popular teacher, outstanding record. Um, yeah, so professionally speaking, there was no reason to fire him um, it's just that he broke the the uh, you know the pronoun blasphemy code, and he even used uh, the student's preferred name. That's even, right. He was willing to that's crazy. because, with the reason being, you know, okay, a name could be a nickname, neutral. It could be a nickname or something like that. But we have no right to. Co- I have no right to compel another person to lie. See, and, um, and and that's what this law is about. It's about compelling other people to lie. You're just full it's of one-liners here, Michelle. This is mm. phenomenal. Well, and when you translate that to medicine, it seems almost that Congress is trying to force doctors to practice against the best medical evidence. Right, and this so this is the now it's partly medicine's own fault, right? It's because we have physicians and therapists and scientists who are activists who buy into the gender ideology, who are pushing out this junk science, right? Um, we have this conflict, um, but the the irony is that under the Obama administration, CMS. So Medicare Medicaid Services reviewed the world literature for transgender medicine, and they concluded that while there were some studies that suggested, okay, maybe some positive benefits here, that overall there was no strong evidence for benefit from hormones or surgeries in the long term, and wow. there was a lot of risk. And therefore, that, that was therefore, only three years Medicaid, ago. That was only in 2016. Medicare and Medicaid under Obama declared there is not enough evidence for us to um, direct states to pay for these services. Man. I, a question just came to mind. I'm wondering, do you know if there's any follow-up on one of the most famous transitions here in the last three or four years, that of Bruce Jenner to Caitlyn Jenner? Um, I don't, I've not seen any official follow-up. I just, I just find it interesting uh, we haven't heard anything more. Um, uh, I know he is together with somebody. He's dating, I, I, I think it's a real woman. <laughs> Um, but you're, you're right. Not, I haven't, I haven't followed his story so much. I am more aware of the unfortunate story of Jazz Jennings. This is, um, a boy whose family, uh, socially transitioned him at age five and basically put him on TV for his entire life. He is now age 18. And so this this boy from age five liked to dress as a princess, said he was a girl, and the the family totally embraced him, very wealthy, and totally embraced him as a girl, had all the, you know, 
ideological ideological doctors behind them and everything and and has his own program jazz reality show um went through the puberty blockers um estrogen and came time for his bottom surgery at age um actually 17 i think he was when he uh and w- was devastated because he had a micro penis and so the surgeon said gee i don't have enough to work with here to basically remove the penis and construct uh, a facsimile of a vagina and basically had to undergo a a much more significant surgery and there was dehiscence and uh, I mean this child and not only that to the world told the world on on TV that he's never had orgasm and um, talking about saying goodbye to his penis and I mean, like, this is all normal and great, and his whole life, by the way, he did this because, oh, why are we doing this? To avoid depression and suicide? Well, he was an emotional mess and on, still on meds, you know, antidepressants and so forth, despite all this. Um, and he is their star, their shining star spokesperson, you know, books out. YouTube, all over social media and everything. I mean, these these children, some of them, well, all the children are being exploited, but certain ones, like this Jazz Jennings, is truly, truly So Jazz exploited. isn't living the dream. It, it makes me kind of wonder how, how many people might have concomitant depression. I mean, we could hypothesize, but I wonder how many people undergoing this transition do the not have depression. The vast majority do. And, then, and not that long ago, a couple months maybe a couple months ago now, there was um, a male transitioning to a female who wrote into the New York Times, and I was shocked that the New York Times published this, but it was something along the lines of, um, my new vagina won't make me happy and it shouldn't have to. And it was this deeply, this, just this, this is so sad. These people are truly suffering, but they, they are so deeply wounded and truly suffering and this individual was basically saying, I've had gender dysphoria for most of, my, uh, most of my life, and I've gone through the hormones and certain surgeries and whatnot, and, and I, know, I, I know I'm going to have this, this you know, that, uh, vagina constructed, and of course it's not a real vagina, um, and it won't make me happy, but it shouldn't have to. I want it, and therefore it should be paid for. Man. That is how deep... The, um, that is how um, unhinged the ideology is, and that is how profoundly wounded many of these people are. Um, we can't, as physicians, as, as ethical physicians, any ethical physician dedicated to science and first do no harm has to stand up against this. And if the Equality Act passes, that will be impossible. We will have the force of the law against us. Michelle, what what can concerned listeners do to prevent this act from becoming law? Well, I mean, there's so many things that this can bring on. What what should we tell our listeners to do? Um, so, first of all, if, if everyone is uh, listening is a, a CMA member, there will be alerts. Alerts will go out um, so that you can take action um, talking to your senators, your um, now, it's hopefully it will not make it uh, out to the Senate floor. But um, you don't have to wait for those alerts. But at a minimum, if you're registered with with CMA, uh, but how about the thousands of listeners who are lay people, not in medicine? What can they do? Okay, thank you. Um, educate yourselves. You can. You can educate yourself to learn more about this act by going to the Heritage Foundation, for example, heritage.org, and um, in the search box, put in Equality Act. And they have some very brief, they sum up the act in uh, about seven points explaining why it is harmful to all people. And basically, just one-on-one talk to family members, friends, um, educate, let them know, you know what, this is not about equality. Um, it, um, 
use the example as, as I did. If you had a loved one who was convinced that they were an amputee, is it loving to affirm to affirm their mistaken belief? Of course not, right? Um, we have to find gentle ways of having these conversations to combat the lies that we are surrounded by. Well, and that is a great entree into a discussion that will not raise people's hackles or get them defensive when you talk about that, about the the person who thinks they're an amputee and they're not, because then mm. maybe they can see it. I, I love the way you can use different ideas so that they can think differently about ideology without attacking them head on. That, that's beautiful, right. Michelle. Yeah, I hope so. It's Thank hard. you it's- so much for being with Dr. Doctor today and listening to us here from the station of Stations of Redeemer Radio here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We are the official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association and heard globally on the EWTN Catholic Radio Network. If you've missed past episodes, you can listen to the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend or alone on iTunes or Google Play Podcasts. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor, where we will be discussing nursing as a vocation with the president of the National Association of Catholic Nurses, Marie Hilliard. Until then, I'm Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your question to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at RedeemerRadio.com doctor where you can also find all our past episodes. Keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app or by following us on Facebook at Dr. Doctor Show.